tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Who Killed Janine, Lost Generation, and Pigtail Fugitive. co-host crystal and i am your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast crystal yep just now just minutes mm-hmm. before recording i let my one of my roommates noisy dog out into the backyard okay hopefully he'll be content there instead of barking up a storm in the room next door and mm-hmm. while I was out there, I noticed, gee, it's uh, the temperature's pretty pleasant. It's not hot mm-hmm. at all, which mm-hmm. is surely, which is my first weather sign that Halloween is on the way. Mm-hmm. It is similarly overcast and not, it's not cold, but it's not hot here as well. Uh, so it's a, I thought it was a good day also to do some like fall baking too. So Mm -hmm. I just pulled a carrot cake out of the oven. Oh, but, uh, you wanted to talk about some, some Halloween stuff, some. Yeah. Let's, I mean, uh, I was curious, do you, are there, do you have any Halloween traditions or movies you watch? I mean, I guess. I mean, I know like everyone has their their Christmas customs. Like some people are big on a Christmas story, or others prefer National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I know there's, you know, some households are stronger on one than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I don't know, maybe some don't even have a. a pre- do you? Uh, is there either? Do you do you watch either of those films for Christmas or? Yeah, I'm not really a big I'm not really a big Christmas person. Um yeah. so I mean, I was remembering sometimes I like to put on a movie when I'm like dec- decorating the tree. Yeah. yeah. And uh the last time I did that, it was a few years ago. I mean, I've decorated the tree, but the last time I put a movie on and decorated the tree, um I watched Snowpiercer. <laughs> 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 Which is not by any stretch of the imagination a Christmas film unless you count like an iced over planet as kind of festive for the for the winter holidays. That would be an extremely cynical Christmas film, even by your standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put I put it on because I heard you know I was like oh I'm, I I got some free time I'm I the the result is I get I got kind of upset that I wasn't paying attention to the movie which because i think it was actually a really good movie so i'm i want to watch it again yeah um oh and i remember the last time i was decorating so last year um when i was decorating the tree there was some movie it was on hulu and it had Kristen stewart in it and it was about um a uh lesbian couple oh and just going, going to visit yes yes i've seen i don't remember I'd, what it was called i saw advertisements for that movie all, all the time yeah on, yeah 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 i know precisely yeah. what you're speaking well i i hand it to you you, you like 
Some people think going with Die Hard is is a re- really daring expansion of the Christmas movies <laughs> genre. Yeah, but you you I, you've I, taken I it to. I feel like to, that's kind of played at this yeah. point, you know. Uh, oh, totally. Like, like I mean, if anything, I mean, if yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it's so overplayed that it's almost just like conventionally accepted. It's it's not mm-hmm. as daring as like trying to say, I don't know. I guess that. Eyes Wide Shut would be a Christmas movie. You know, I think you, I think you may have picked uh, the next tree decorating movie because I forgot <laughs> that that takes place during Christmas time. Okay, okay. Um, I love that movie. I'm not a huge. I this is probably gonna like have some film nerds, nerds flipping over their iPods or whatever they're listening to a podcast <laughs> iPods don't exist anymore <laughs> what am I talking about um but yeah I really I'm not a huge Kubrick fan generally but I really liked Eyes Wide Shut so Re- that's, that's really interesting like pretty bold statement <laughs> maybe we should do a pod about Eyes Wide Shut at some point in the, the future uh, yeah we could but my mom listens to this oh shit oh god um <laughs> abort abort uh so let's talk about some Halloween movies. <laughs> yeah, well, Robbie, you you should answer the question. Do you do you have like a Christmas movie? I think I think probably the fallback in my home traditionally was a Christmas story because that's on. They would put that on for twenty four hours on TBS. And right, right, yeah. You, generally, what would be on? Yeah, totally. Like, um, I, I, that's interesting. Yeah, like I, I mean, I've. My traditions have sort of, um, like, yeah, it, grow, growing up, I mean, that 24 hours of a Christmas story on TBS, you just put that thing on and just let it run throughout the whole day while you're busy yeah. looking at your toys and playing your video mm-hmm. games and, and all, all sorts of jazz. I had a friend who, like, you know, he had a bunch of extended family were over for, you know, Christmas dinner or whatever. And his either grandfather or some obscure uncle or someone was like in the seat in the living room while they were watching a Christmas story. And this relative would like sort of fall asleep and wake up throughout the, the mm-hmm. you know, the, the day. And so I, th- I guess like at the third time that Ralphie was beating up uh, Skunk Farkas, uh, his, his uncle was like, uh, didn't we see this anymore? How long is this movie? <laughs> he thought it was like a Christmas story, I guess, was just like a six hour long film because he kept falling asleep and 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 whatnot. But yeah, a Chris, Christmas story was you know, a fun one, though. I, when I go over to the Cooper's uh, place for Christmas, they mm-hmm. they're um, they're on the other side of the, the theological divide. They watch uh, mm-hmm. National Lampoon's uh, Christmas mm. Vacation. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I celebrate both traditions. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, as far as Halloween's concerned, so we will probably be dropping this episode after yeah. Halloween has come and gone. We're, rec- we're recording in the distant past. From mm-hmm. whenever this is being dropped, but uh, we are not quite yet in the month of October. 
Um, I recently pulled up, there's like a Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror films of all time because I'm trying to find ones I haven't, like I've missed or I haven't seen yet. Um, But uh, unfortunately, when I looked at the list, other than the like hardcore, like, Cronenberg body horror stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm all good. Like, okay. I've I've seen most of them. I mean, without getting into the, like, the cheesy uh, franchise sequels and stuff. I mean, just, I was like, oh, are there any of the classics that I've missed? And I think I've probably, I think I've covered most of them, unfortunately. Um, oh, wow. So, Robbie, if you have a recommendation uh, about maybe like a one one I may have missed or something, and that big, I don't I don't do the cutesy Halloween shit. Sorry, people who love Hocus Pocus and Practical Magic, and whatever. Those are great movies, but like, I I want to be around this time of year. I want to be watching a movie like with one eye out of my shirt collar. Like that's where I want to be. You know. Hmm. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, I know you've sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, you've probably actually already seen this one, but I feel like it's Mm -hmm. a it's a film that will is is nowadays uh, is a lot to like to Halloween how Christmas story is to Christmas. There's this film called Trick or Treat. Yeah, I don't think I have seen that one, and it was on the list. And it so. wasn't on. Okay, yeah, it's a it's an anthology film. It has Anna Paquin mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this, it's this neat little anthology movie of like three or four like Halloween stories, and they're all like the setting is Halloween. It's the film is it's about the spirit of Halloween in in a way. Uh, oh, yeah, huh. I I. I like in in a in a ridiculously sappy and over sentimental way. I kind of like watching that. To me, is is like the Christmas equivalent of like you know you get the family together and you you you, you know set up the tree and and you're getting into the spirit of it. And I I feel like mm-hmm. the, this that this particular film is is kind of kind of like that for me. So I don't know. Maybe maybe check that one out. It's not. It's okay. not really, I mean, it's not really scary in terms of, like, if you're looking for, your like, to get scared out of your mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's obviously horror movie stuff that happens in it. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I really enjoyed it uh, all the times I watched it. So give it a try. That's Robbie's pick of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well... I will definitely check that out um, because anything has to be less despair inducing than the uh, episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, God. Uh, So um, so this is what I think it's season five, episode 17 of Unsolved Mysteries. I did want to say before we launch into talking about the first segment or story in Unsolved Mysteries um, that there is some pretty brutal sexual assault we will not go into that detail but if that is upsetting to you um or uh you know in general just harm coming to children uh please like maybe fast forward to let's say i don't know the 25 minute mark and we'll be done talking about that 
uh, this episode really uh, sucked a lot and made me feel bad. And <laughs> yeah, I was ready to have a cocktail after I was done watching it at 2 p.m. But um, anyways, so we're going to try and make the best of it. But uh, this is probably not going to be our normal lighthearted uh, episode of Reenacted. So sorry, guys, we we have to we got to go through all the episodes and this is the one we got. So um, anyway, shall we travel back in time to Illinois in 1983? The. Reenactment starts with uh, a car pulling up into a driveway and some teenager teenagers getting out, talking about teenager stuff. And I guess I don't know. A, another sibling had gotten home just before them, uh, because mm-hmm. before they even turned the corner around the the garage, like uh, a sort of young, slightly younger sister comes running out and was like all panicky. And it turns out that someone has ki- had kicked in the door of the house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, left with, uh, was there, how old was she? 10 year old Jeannie Nar- N- Nassarino? Narcio? Uh, I think it's like Nico Rico. Nico Rico, yeah. yeah uh, or Nicarico. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anyways. Yeah, the important thing is this is a 10-year-old girl's missing. And so, you know, we get shots of people examining footprints outside of a, a window. That's going to become important later. Uh, police circulating all around. And we're very quickly introduced to um, a uh, character named Alex Hernandez. Not mm-hmm. a mentally questionable professional sports player, uh, but rather a, just uh, someone new in their at reenactment, at least is played off as just kind of like a standard. Hey, I'm a guy with a mustache in the city and, you know, I'm wearing this jacket mm-hmm. and you know, the cops, yeah. they come and they talk to me and I tell the, tell them things. Um, yeah. This guy's a, this guy's kind of a, Kind of a stoolie, I guess, is what you'd call him. Also, we should probably mention that this is not a wanted segment. This is a final appeal segment. Right, right. Uh, th- very important. This is a final appeal. Yes, it, it very much becomes. I wasn't paying attention to the text when when oh. when it when it showed that when when I first watched the segment. So yeah. it was funny because like as I was going along, it's like. Okay, this is feeling less and less like a wanted segment and more and more like a yeah. final appeal segment. It was it it was. So I mean at the very beginning, Robert Stack is like, We've got we've got a dude on death row and somebody I mean, right off the bat, Stack is like, There's a dude on death row, but somebody else has fully comes- confessed to the crime. Yeah. And says that he's the person did. So that's where we start. Yes. And then and then we go into the reenactment of uh Janine's sister coming home from school. Right. Yeah. And uh, Alex, like, I guess he they mentioned he only had an IQ of a hunt of 70 something or ever. 76. Um, yeah. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea either. <laughs> I think they just throw that out like uh, like, oh, yeah, he's left handed. I'm like, I don't know what IQ of 76 means. I, I find that IQ is mostly useful 
And you know whether someone is like just a totally self-absorbed uh, prick uh, uh-huh. and probably not as smart as they actually think they are if they're like if, – if, you know, in a conversation with them, they're like, well, I took an IQ test and I got accepted mm-hmm. into some, you know, whatever genius society because my IQ is one right. something something. It's like – yeah, and I've often found that the people that like, you know, say this to me, I then uh-huh. like subsequently like I find that they are just intellectually really unimpressive. So usually right. I'm like, okay, they're either lying or something's uh, screwed up. Yeah. Anyway, well, the internet IQ test that they found <laughs> told them they have like an IQ of whatever one sixty is that high? I don't know. What the scale um, is. Well, it's more than double what Alex has, and uh, I guess they the the neighborhood they say in the narration stack says the neighborhood re, or someone says the neighborhood referred to Alex as crazy Alex. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if that's actually kind of just like whoever said that was just sort of cleaning up the. <laughs> the the nickname and trying to make it sound a bit nicer because I I, uh, I I imagine it yeah. was probably had some pejorative related to like not being particularly bright or, or something anyway yeah. Yeah. yeah um but yeah like Alex uh, uh, he you know he start he t- he's telling the officers all sorts of stuff obviously he wants <laughs> I guess he wants to I don't know what what his end game is, just to have people pay attention to him or whatever. He's telling yeah, them, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's. I think I think he's like one of these people that's gonna like talk, to, pretend like he has information just because it's attention seeking behavior, and yeah. he wants to be. He wants to feel like he's providing value. He wants to feel like he's contributing, right, or helping. Right. Right. Um, also, we should probably mention what happened to Janine <laughs> because this whole Alex thing comes after. Uh, oh, what it's, happens it's it's Janine. after. OK, I'm sorry. I didn't indicate I didn't put any uh, the chronology in my notes. But yes, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but this when they're talking with Alex, this is not like they're trying to track her down. It's because they're trying mm-hmm. to find who her. Who who uh who killed her because her um sexually assaulted body was found yeah um yeah they're trying to yeah find out who she was um it it was pretty pretty miserable scene yeah but yeah no, no i mean you i think you're right like he really seems like it's like yeah i'm i'm helping the these guys and they have this reenactment where they like put him in a room with another guy who goes by Pengino. Um, Pinguino. 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 And Which I think just means penguin in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, if if this was uh, if this was a Spanish uh, vocabulary qu- class quiz, uh-huh. and that was one of the questions. <laughs> Like, you know, what is the English meaning for these following words? That's what mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have put penguin <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. I, I concur. Um, so they, they, they have Alex and the penguin 
and uh, they they <laughs> <laughs> they bring them in together into the, into this room, and it's really like they play the 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 detective they're talking with um, later or, or during you know throughout this segment who who believes that Alex and another man named Rolando who also unfortunately get caught up in this are innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this detective, uh, like he was saying, like, you know, we brought them in cause we figured if they were talking to each other, maybe like some additional information we weren't getting, uh, would sort mm-hmm. of fall, uh, fall out of that. Unfortunately, I think like with the context of the, the situation, at least as depicted in the reenactment that they put them in, um, mm-hmm. seems to have created a situation where they were all too happy to like just make stuff up, uh, and it's it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I... when, well, and Go when ahead. you no, it's, and like when you watch it, like they bring the two guys into this like little room. <laughs> I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what the function of this room normally is. It uh-huh. looks like the dimensions of like a, some sort of cell. But it's not a uh-huh. cell. It's just like it's, you know, it's in the office type environment and it has a little desk with a little chair in it. And if you uh-huh. if this was someone's office, they would want to, like, kill themselves every single day. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, it definitely had a jail cell vibe. I don't know if you noticed, though, a little detail when um, uh the officer leaves Pinguino and uh, Crazy Alex in the room together. He steps out into the hallway to like eavesdrop or whatever, but right behind him on the wall is a missing uh, poster for J.C. Dugar. No way. Yeah, if you go back, it says in big letters, it says J.C., and it's got her pictures on it. And so, yeah, if this reenactment... was supposed to take place in the 80s that was a complete oversight (laughs) (laughs) we got a continuity error i i did not even there's a continuity error yeah because it's possible they actually did film this in like some um you know building or whatever or or that they just weren't thinking about it and to add a little color they just quickly pulled up like a recent because at this point i think jc dugar was kidnapped in 91 or 92 um so this okay. is 1993 they're probably filming this in and so that's I, why that's the little bit of flair they put there to make it look like a police station but it's yeah it's a continuity issue <laughs> i i didn't even i didn't i didn't even notice that so you you have that you had a great ego eye uh for that yeah well, I was I, actually I, paying attention to this episode. I wasn't just like lo- looking <laughs> at it over my phone. Yeah. This time. Yeah. Um, so. Well, and I guess I was distracted because right before like one of the one of the detectives walks out of the, the room, mm-hmm. he waves that like bundle of what? $10,000 in front of the, both yeah, those guys. This is wild. Yeah. Why would they leave the $10,000 information reward in cash just on the table with those two? Like, why wouldn't they just be like, we'll give it to you afterwards? <laughs> why do they need to be shown? No well, one's walking out of there with that pile of cash. Right. <laughs> it doesn't I mean, make any uh, sense. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I feel like, I mean, if if this... <laughs> 
Uh, assuming this isn't just like, you know, the, the producers of Unsolved Mysteries being like, we need to convey to people, you know, that like there's $10,000 being offered in reward money. We'll have a, the, the detective wave it. But in the reenactment, it, to me, it seems to suggest that like, um, if you, if you think like the, the, the detectives were just by this point, just planning on trying to entrap Alex and just get him to like confess, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not he did it or not, just get something where they can like pin it on him. Uh, it kind of like, it fe- kind of felt like it played out this way. Cause it was, it was very weird when they brought, uh, P- Pinguino in, because they like mm-hmm. when they introduced everyone around, they introduced Alex and Pinguino to each other. Like, oh yeah, he's helping us with the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know it, what you call this method in in copology. <laughs> it right. It's it seems about as useful as, as torture in getting like reliable reliable. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, um. Yeah, and then they wave that ten thousand around to them, I guess, to emphasize like, hey, there's, you know, there, there's there's a reward if we get what we want to hear or, or something. Crazy Alex is in the mix, right? Saying he has he was driving the dudes that killed Janine around in his car, yeah, or something. Um, and all and according to Unsolved Mysteries, all we get is first names, right? So the cops make the leap that one of the guys that he was talking about was this other person, Steve Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on what the name Steve, uh, no, wait, st- was Steve the one that had the, the matching boots or was that, uh, that, uh, the, yeah, the act- Steve Buckley. Well, I mean, do you mean like there, there was someone who had boots who, whose prints actually matched the, what was found outside yeah. the, uh, so well, I, I, I I don't know how cops connected all that stuff. So Crazy Alex is throwing out first names. The cops find out that this guy, Steve Buckley, unfortunately owns the same brand of boots that yeah. were used to to kick down the Nicaricos front door. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so that's that's it. That's a clue number one. They found a guy who owns the same pair of boots. Okay, that's it. There's no <laughs> nothing placing him at the scene. None of that shit. And then Alex and Pinguino, whoever this Pinguino person is, uh, is just a homie. And so now with the incentive of $10,000, they're trying to come up with things that could lead the cops to like an action, you know, an arrest basically right. or a clue. Um, so just the, the, fin- the thinnest, the thinnest, I'm just want to really want to emphasize this. The thinnest of connections are being made to try and figure out who, Janine Janine's murderer was right, right. They're just the very thinnest of of strands, and yes. So yeah, so like Alex and and Pinguino, they they get in this big boasting thing, and I think at some point, like Alex is like, yeah, I know, I know who did it. You know, I didn't, I you know, because I didn't do it, but I was like there, and you know, trying to impress Pinguino. Meanwhile, this detective mm-hmm. just like he hears right. that, and he just instantly pulls out the pad from his <laughs> pocket and right. starts writing down. Oh <laughs> right. Um, and then somehow they like they ended up mentioning uh, this guy, this poor guy named R- Rolando, uh, mm-hmm. and we get a reenactment of him walking along, and like one of the so a detective just is like, "Hey, Rolando, 
Uh, I'm a police. So, you know this guy, Alex? And Rolando's like, oh, yeah, I, I know him, but I don't want to hang out with him. And, um, you know, they, they like, they're trying to, like, you know, get information from, from him. And uh, they, you know, they, the detective te- tells him, like, yeah, we think Alex might be involved. We're wondering if you know anything. And, um, then they, like, the detective, like, twice mentions the reward. So he's like, so you don't know about the reward? And Rolando yeah. in the reenactment answers, no, I ain't known about no reward neither. And uh, <laughs> the detective immediately then asks, you hear about the reward? <laughs> like, yeah. he just answered you on that. And I guess, like, I, I mean, he's obviously just trying to, like, you know, dangle that, like, in this case, not literally, but that ten thousand dollars of cash in front of this guy, and so Rolando, Rolando, motivated by the same uh, things Alex were, he's like, oh, he just starts throwing out any. Uh, I think they actually use the term uh, in the in the segment, refer to it as tidbits, mm-hmm. like just you know anything they can think of that might they think might like you say lead the the police to an arrest. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like in the process of doing this, both Alex and Rolando are implicating themselves. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, like we get an interview of someone who's like, yeah, I think that, you know, the cops just, they want to like stick this, they, they stick this on somebody. I think there was an election, you know, for the DA or whatever coming up. So they wanted the case uh, uh, taken care of. So, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Alex, Rolando, and Steve Buckley—they uh, all were—they all—they were all, they were all uh, put on trial, and Alex and Rolando were convicted. I, I guess Buckley got a hung jury, and the the DA, mm-hmm. the, the 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 authorities were like, eh, "I guess it's not really worth the effort to <laughs> try over with him." We already got two convictions, so <laughs> right. <laughs> it looks like we got our job done. And, you know, and so like the, you know, and they have this reenactment of, um, talk because the, the, the detective they've been talking with, who is just like, who's absolutely convinced that these two guys are innocent and Mm -hmm. who, you know, like, I guess he ends up just quitting because he's just so frustrated because he's like, look, the guy who killed this girl is out there. Yeah. And we're like, you know, the time we're wasting on these guys. So we get a reenactment of your standard emptying a <laughs> emptying a desk mm-hmm. and putting the stuff into uh, into a cardboard box. Um, uh, have you ever done that uh, with a job that you've left or? Yeah. <laughs> Did he do that with this last I have. job? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I sure I sh- several times. Yeah. I've never worked a job. Uh, I, I mean, maybe this, maybe if I were ever terminated at the, my current employment, it might be the case, but mm-hmm. most of my previous employment has not involved like the necessity of emptying out like a desk or something. So, um, I've never had, oh, yeah, I, yeah, my, well, the job I just left, yeah. Um, but the re- I was the reason I was filling up a cardboard box with my things was because the office had been closed because due to COVID, we were all sent to work from home. 
So at oh. that point, I cleared out my desk with the big cardboard box. <laughs> I was also bringing my computer and stuff home, but like, yeah. I knew I knew then I would never be working at that desk again, just because I already at that point hated my job, and I was like, "Well, I'm here. Might as well clear it out." I I ended up, uh, yeah. So I have done that, and then uh, a job a long time ago, I got laid off. Just they couldn't afford to pay me anymore, and that's it. I mean, you don't give notice. You just have to be gone when they ask you to leave. So yeah, I had to fill up my box and that was that. All right. <laughs> at the desk. Yep. Well, gosh, well, yeah. So, and I like how in the reenactment, his, uh, the detective, he has a, he has a cap that says police on it. Uh, I, I guess it's <laughs> a reminder to the audience, you know, so the audience isn't confused. Like, wait, who's this guy who's emptying out his desk? Uh, I, right. I, I don't understand. Um, but the interesting wrinkle we get is that, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, not too long after this, there is a, I believe it's just in the neighboring county. Mm-hmm. is a, a another young girl is found dead and uh, in a similar situation as similar Jane. situation yeah same same mo yeah. <clears throat> and they they actually capture the person who did it right that mm-hmm. was they they end up in the uh, having in their custody this mm-hmm. guy named um uh what was his name Dugan Brian Dugan, yeah. Brian Dugan, yeah. And Dugan uh, is interesting. I guess he refuses to speak directly to the police. Instead, mm-hmm. they have to ask his lawyer questions, and his lawyer goes into another room at, mm. <laughs> with a with a pad and then asks the questions to him. I I don't know if this is just because Brian was clever enough to know not not to talk to the police if you're. <laughs> uh but but if that's the case i'm not sure if you know if, if his goal is to keep from incriminating himself i'm not sure what or if he's maybe he's just crazy because like he just in addition to like you know having been arrested for this other murder mm. he just tells them like hey i killed the uh i killed two other people um mm-hmm. and one of them was in fact this genie girl Mm-hmm. And so he is able to provide all sorts of details. Like I was driving this type of car, you know, the, the car mm-hmm. that was seen. Um, he, he says that, you know, he didn't, he didn't go to work that day. Instead, he was cruising through neighborhoods, smoking marijuana. Uh, oh God. <laughs> you, you know that, uh, which obviously just instantly turned him into a monster. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But they get this reenactment of the guy <clears throat> playing him. He's kind of dressed in normal clothes, but they're kind of, they have enough holes and shoddiness to them where I go, oh, this guy can't be trusted. And he knocks on the door. A little, uh, actress, little actress playing Jeannie, like, you know, answers it, but the chain's locked. And the guy's like, oh, I, I need to borrow a screwdriver. <clears throat> and the girl's like, oh, I'm not supposed to open doors for strangers. And she closes it. And we get a reenactment of the guy just like kicking in the door. <clears throat> I guess he wraps her up in in uh, sheets. Uh, like the in in his interview with the cops, he he remembers like wiping you know, the the fingerprints off the doorknob. Uh, 
He gives mm-hmm. them just like all the details, and then like, because mm. we have, uh, he drove out to some trail park trail or something. And there were two, he mentioned seeing these two road workers or, or, Mm -hmm. or or high, you know, people working for the city cleaning up along a a highway and how he almost got stuck turning around. And this account links up perfectly with two, you know, city or whoever employees who are like, yeah, we were working along there. We saw this you know, we have this little reenactment of them seeing this car turn, try to turn around in place and almost get stuck. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the heck is that person doing? And so it just like his, his details just sync up perfectly with, with mm-hmm. everything that, that they have. Uh, and so naturally they don't, they, they elect not to, uh, not to follow up on this, uh, but instead, mm-hmm. you know, decide, no, Alex and Rolando are the killers. Um, yeah. Well, actually, there was, there was, Alex was put on trial three different times. Oh, wow. Three. And I didn't Rolando even twice. Yeah. 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 So at this, at this point, this is the second trial, the uh, Rolando. And so the, the first conviction uh, was declared a mistrial because Alex and Roland, someone decided Alex and Rolando should not have been tried together. So now they're tried separately. Yeah. And now there's all this evidence that Brian Dugan committed these crimes and the prosecutors uh, objected when um, I think, I think they were taking, putting one of the state police that had been involved with investigating Brian Dugan's crimes the prosecutors objected when that person was put on the stand and um, Rolando's lawyer was trying to interview that state police who had all the details about Janine's uh, murder, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, the judge up- upheld the um, objection. So they weren't allowed to introduce an alternative theory as to the the defense wasn't allowed to introduce this it wasn't a theory of the facts of what had actually happened. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so then Alex, uh, Alex's second trial was, I believe another hung jury. And then Alex finally, um, what happened? He finally had a third trial, which we don't see. There's no reenactment of that on camera. Mostly we're focused on Rolando's stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, the prosecution in that in that second tr- second trial was saying, okay, yeah, maybe this Brian Dugan guy did some things, but those other two were there, and and we know this because there was another set of footprints by the house. Remember the right. footprints from the very beginning. Yes, <laughs> the, the that's where it all loops back. Right, um, there's a second set of footprints, but the um was not presented to the jury is that in fact, those footprints belong to a, a woman's size five shoe <laughs> and that, you know, so basically the defense is like prevented from defending their client. And now the prosecution has this new theory basically that, Oh yeah, well this Brian guy did it. But even though we can't prove that Rolando and Alex even had ever met this Brian guy, they were involved in this very intimate crime with him. Like, what the fuck? It's 
I, I think you know one 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 of the people they interview who you know believes that Alex and Rolando are innocent is just like, yeah, this is just a case where like they don't want to acknowledge that they were wrong. They just you know they, they're yeah. so invested that they're like rather than r- rather than like oh we have new information so we have to reevaluate our priors. It's like no. We have our priors, so we have to make this new information fit into what we already mm-hmm. believe is the case. So, right, yeah. Uh, uh. <sighs> well, then there's then there's the resignations, right? So, in 1984, one of one of the detectives who was interviewed in this segment quits. That's the one we see walking out with the box. Yeah. There's another resignation of someone, I think, who worked at the forensic lab. Yes. Um, and I can only imagine because that person is being told not to share information that they know exonerates Rolando and Alex from any, having anything to do with this. And yeah. then finally, who was, who was, uh, who was the, so Stack ends up actually reading, pulling out of his trench coat. The, the assistant, this, the assistant attorney general for, I, don't know, I guess, Jesus. the state of Illinois, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and specifically in that resignation letter says that they have the wrong people on death row for this crime. And they're being asked to basically ignore that fact. So they resign. I mean, that's three people basically giving up their careers over how mishandled this was. Right. And again, what what were so so the conviction uh, is held up for Rolando, right? He's back on death row. This is why it's a final appeal. What were they convicting on? What there's not even circumstantial evidence, let alone physical evidence that places him at the scene of the crime or even having met, you know, Janine or um Brian Dugan. There's nothing that puts him there. Yeah. Nothing. It's terrible. What tri- the fuck? It's a <laughs> like terrible travesty of justice i mean this is this is some i got so fucking mad when i was watching this because i listen here's the deal that i've known now from watching a lot of unsolved mysteries as well as like podcasts and just you know how things go cops are trying to get to the quickest point from uh you know a crime being committed to a conviction a to b that's all they're trying to do they're not trying to find the right guy or gal who did it, they're trying to close it up fast so they can so they can get that conviction record up, not only for the department, but also for the DA. That's how the shit works. So it's yeah. not it's not like it's not SVU, it's not law and order over here where like, you know, Benson and Stadler are gonna get to the bottom of it. It's not <laughs> like that. Like if you can get if you're poor and you're Latino and you're unemployed and they can snatch you up, they'll do it. And that's what happened to Rolando. Like he got, I was like going to flip over my coffee table. Basically it's like in an episode of law and order when like they first, they, they come across like the first person they kind of think who did it before they mm-hmm. find out the the twists where in the, instead they just take that person to draw a victim. Yeah. <laughs> episode over at the, uh, 19 yeah. minute mark. Yeah. And also, like, what's a jury going to do if they don't have the information that someone else has confessed to the crime, <laughs> uh, has all the details that puts them there? Um, you know, what's if a jury doesn't receive that information? So I, lo- I really liked it when Rolando, who is doing his final appeal, says, 
my understanding of this is it's not up for the police department or the DA to decide who's guilty. It's up to a jury. Yeah. And I've, you know what? He's, he's right. That is what, it, that's what it is. Right. Cause he wasn't pleading out. He wasn't saying he wasn't doing the guilty plea to try and like get a lower sentence. He knew he was innocent and he was going to fight it. So, and so here we are. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Robbie, is there an update? There is an does update. Rolando, does Rolando get executed or does he make it? Yeah, because, yeah, man, like this, I can only imagine when this episode aired, you're like, he's facing, he's facing death in a month. Someone, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, thankfully, no, uh, after spending 11 years uh, uh, on death row, DNA evidence finally confirmed he was innocent. And he was released from prison and exonerated. Um, I mean, he didn't get that 11 years of his life back. But at least he's still alive. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it totally sucks that, like, uh, he, he lost 11 years. after. But, I mean, gosh, uh, I can only imagine, considering the stakes, what the stakes were when this episode aired. Oh, God. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so- Brian. Brian Dugan was eventually charged with Jeannie's Jeannie's death and he got um, this was like a couple of decades after she was killed. So sometime in the early 2000s and he was actually convicted and sentenced to death. Yeah, but then as a aside, Illinois removed the death penalty in 2011. Ah, OK. Um, And he and so now he's doing life in prison. Um. 20 years, 20 years after he confessed, he had all the details. It's, I mean, it's, I can only imagine what your, your thoughts are. If you're Mr. Dugan, I mean, other than being deranged and evil, but also like you're, you're telling the the authorities I did it and they won't like believe you. Um, Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like that episode of the Simpsons where, uh, Waylon Smithers is walking down the street and some, um, some people are trying to hire him away from the nuclear power plant and they're offering all, all <laughs> him, all the stuff like, oh, we'll pay you, mm-hmm. you know, however much more times and more and, da, da, da. and and he's like, look, I'm happy where I am. All right. What's the matter with this country? Can't you walk down the street without being offered a job? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just like. I feel like it, it feels like the 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 uh, authorities in this case, the, the, they were just like this. Like, can't you walk down the street without someone trying to confess their crimes to you? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you know, on a on an aside, it's stuff like this. That is one of the I mean, I'm very about amnesty and I don't believe in the death penalty mm-hmm. or capital punishment. Because of this reason. And I, you know, there's too, there's, I mean, the way that they rushed Alex and Rolando into this whole thing, they waved money in their faces. They, you know, these two guys were, were uh, not privileged people. And if they thought they were going to help or there was some financial incentive, it's very possible they could have been coerced and implicating themselves. 
with, yeah. with, for a crime and then sentenced to death for that. And that we know yeah. that that happens all the time. People get cursed into saying things maybe because they're not that intelligent or they don't have a proper defense attorney uh, present with them. Um, mm -hmm. So this is why I'm very like anti-death penalty because on the chance that we execute one innocent person, then that was too many. And, and Rolando very much could have seen his life ended. Uh, I, and honestly, probably having this air on unsolved mysteries is what put the pressure on to probably get the DNA tests wrapped up. Right. Um, with, right. With, uh, Brian, uh, whatever his name is. So, um, yeah. I, I'll get off my soapbox, but just like, this was so fucked up. And, and like the second segment is so fucked up <laughs> that we're going to talk about. Yes. <sighs> Should I get into it? We're running kind of long. Yeah. We're going to go up to Canada and, um, in the United States, but in Canada, and this has been in the news quite a bit lately, uh, First Nations people were in great numbers separated from their children in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, these children were often taken, uh, and this, in the segment we're going to talk about, um, they, they were, uh, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, I think it came up in another segment, like, way, way back, but um, the... Uh, government of Canada or Child Protective Services, what, whatever the equivalent is of that in Canada, uh, basically for the crimes of being poor would take away First Nations children away from their families and basically like adopt them out to white parents in the United States and Canada, mm -hmm. um, which I would call a mass kidnapping scheme. <laughs> but uh, Unsolved Mysteries doesn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically um, so if, if if georgia tan was the state exactly. <laughs> as it were yeah yes that's exactly right um so <laughs> uh okay so this is a lost love segment and it gets a little confusing because there's because this is this was so systematic there's multiple families that they focus on so the first story they tell um is of a uh, a family that had been reunited. Um, the second story is um, about uh, Maureen. I'm going to screw this up. I'm so, so sorry. Maureen Kiwatanakapo. Kiwatanakapo. Um, mm -hmm. And she is, uh, she's, she's born into a family, um, already has uh, several children in that family. And at some point, the mother of that family passes away. And uh, at the state, comes in and says to the father, basically, we're going to take your kids. The father, of course, in grief and shock of just losing his wife, kind of just goes along with the plan, maybe believing it was for the best. At the very, very beginning of the segment, before these mm -hmm. two calls to sort of action, like, where, where are mm -hmm. our family? Is they depicted, like, um, a woman who had given birth, and just immediately afterwards, she's given these papers, like, hey. Right. And she's just like, oh, okay. Uh, and then... They thought like she was going to just be placed with someone for a few. I think this was Dor mm -hmm. Dorothy uh, Macy's. Uh, she's not like, oh, they're just going to be with uh, someone for a few months, and then I'll I'll be able to get her back, and and mm -hmm. uh, didn't it? And then yeah, we got this, <laughs> and that actually, um, uh, th that precedes this uh, this um, the the 
the the the, the part of the segment with uh, this this tragic death of the mother, uh, the, yeah. the 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 one with Dorothy that I found so, so mm-hmm. interesting was they there's the 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 woman who who comes to like take her away, um, she, the the infant is in this like I don't know wicker basket or something, mm-hmm. and then like. In the part of the reenactment where the woman is like stepping out of the house, going down the steps, carrying the basket, there's something mm-hmm. about the way she's dressed and mm-hmm. the lighting of just like a few seconds during that scene, it kind of turns dark. I swear, like if you played the the theme music for the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> I think this is what oh, they had yeah. in mind. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like that, huh? Where yeah. she looks over her shoulder really quick and like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, it is, it is a bit like that. Yeah. So that was the, that was the first tale of woe. Yeah, is Dorothy. But then, but then th- those people within this segment are reunited. Yeah, yeah. They they've been reunited. Yeah. Their the daughter's like, I uh, hey, if you if you have actual blood relatives out there, I recommend you try to find them like I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then, so then we go into Marine or the search for Marine Queen Watanakapo in mm-hmm. Manitoba. Um, so this, yeah. So Maureen's mother um, passes away. The father get, signs over the kids, basically, to uh, the state. Um, everyone's placed in foster homes. Um, so now the eldest sister, Glenda, uh, is looking. She's found. She's found five of her six siblings. So the so the youngest sister, um, Maureen, who was the baby, is still missing. Um, yeah. And then we just kind of very quickly move on from that story <laughs> right. into. Uh, 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 Bernie and Calvin Seaton. Um, and so this uh, takes place in Ontario. Uh, so we went Manitoba to Ontario, which are different Canadian provinces to our right. American listeners. Right. It's like having different states. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, very briefly, before we get into the yes. last par- uh, component yeah. of this segment, <laughs> uh, the part where like the the woman's taking away the youngest kids and one of them's like, are uh-huh. you going to take us back to our mom? Or yeah. like, like is just, isn't that just like a heart rendering? Just like, yeah. God, I, I think about this. I went from wanting to flip over my table in the first segment to just wanting to weep. Right. During this, the second segment. Um, it's that's why I'm trying to move through it very fast. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just. just <laughs> sorry, probably yeah, should. Um, go uh, talk. Tell us about the the, the third little tale of woe in this segment. Yeah, um, and, and interestingly, in this segment, all of the all of the families are very large, so they have five to six children each. Each of these families, where they're the separations are happening. Um, so this is a. Uh, in the Ojibwe reservation, Ontario. Um, and, uh, you know, we hear from various siblings in this, uh, segment. No, it's mostly Sandra. So Sandra Seton Henry, um, she had an alcoholic dad who was abusive to her mother, Myrna. Um, and the 
Dad is kicked out of the house by court order, basically. And then at some point, Myrna, because she's the sole breadwinner, uh, has to take a job working as in, as a food vendor with a traveling carnival, which I guess if you didn't have six kids at home, might be kind of fun. Um, so well, yeah. she ends up leaving the... <laughs> if, if, yeah, if you're 19, that, that might be an interesting job. Yeah. Um, so she ends up leaving all six of her kids with a babysitter, basically, is telling... Myrna, the mom, tells Sandra and the rest of her children, like, you know, we're I'm only going to be gone for three weeks. Um, so at some point, yeah, it comes to the down to the babysitter has has to leave or just leaves. We don't know what happens to the babysitter. Myrna has not come home. Uh, so it's, a, you know, six kids basically on their own. And as Sandra tells it, like she was trying very hard to not let anyone know that they were on their own. But eventually the the, the, the jig is up and um, a welfare worker shows up and takes all the uh, children away. Myrna's summoned in the court. Um, you know, she's in over her head completely. And, uh, you know, the judge decides that the children should be permanently placed um, in the foster homes. So, um, you know, here comes Sandra, one of the sisters, uh, in, you know, in the seventies, she was reunited with her other sisters. And then in the eighties, they found another brother. Um, but now they're looking for the remaining siblings, Bernie and Calvin. And so uh, very quickly we get an update. Uh, you know, of course there's a reunion and, uh, one of the brothers has the most magnificent mullet I've seen maybe. In all of Unsolved Mysteries. It's, it belongs in the top, top five at least. Yeah. I don't know if that was Bernie or, Bernie or Calvin, but it was one of them. Just real. Woo boy. Um, so. Makes me curious to see who, who, you know, who raised him. I mean, he mentioned sort of being shuffled around. Right. There's like a lot of mullets going on in those households. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I would want to know too, but like that would probably they would probably implicate themselves in something. They don't want right. to implicate it in the, <laughs> right, the right. foster parents or the adopted parents or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I I you know, I think this is one of those, and even one of the children says, you know, I think these adoptions and foster placings were done for the right reasons. But the execution of it is brutal because the the children are not being placed within foster homes within their own community. They're being completely removed. Yeah. Off of reservations or even their own country, right? Because they said that some of these Canadian children were adopted out to, to families in the United States. Right. Yeah. So totally. Um, some you know, maybe it was done with good intentions, but the execution is fucking horrifying. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean just Anyway. Absolutely uh, horrendous, yeah. Okay, well. well before we move on, I just wanted to say. <laughs> yes. Um, you keep saying for, before we move on, and I keep trying to move away from this horrifying. Okay, well, well, well these, these two things will be humorous. First. Okay. What the fuck about that blanket that they set up behind Robert's stack for this? Yeah. <laughs> was that really that was necessary? A yeah. <laughs> um, I know that you said oh, that the, the, mm-hmm. the, and you know, it, it, it's, it's as bad as if they were playing pan flute music. And I know you said that the music being played was a flute, but not yeah. a pan flute. I still, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I still feel like this I mean, just, if, if this flute. yeah, if, if the yeah, if these yeah, if these weren't First Nations people in this segment, it would they would not be playing that flute music. And uh, also the in the well, you're right about that, but it was not the blatant like. Uh, <laughs> Right, I mean, it, you it's know, not... mystical pan flute that they're normally turning on for Native American. You're right. Stories. You're right. It, yeah. it is. It is a distinction. And then in the third little tale in this segment, when the woman comes to take away the kids, she reminded me. The actress playing her reminded me a lot of Denise Crosby, who played Tasha Yar on Star Trek: The Next Generation. So that's all been. I had to say. Um. So let's 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 go to, to another segment. The year nineteen ninety one. The place Texas. Uh, Bill Henderson. Bill Bill's unwell, and um, his family is going to go on this road trip uh, without him. And uh, when he just he just was like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to be a drag on your good time. I'm just going to stay home. I'm not feeling great. You know, he's an, he's an elderly man. He's 66. I don't know how elderly that is, but he's just not feeling great. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so Bill stays home and uh, he, you know, he talks to his family every day while they're gone. Um, then finally, his son, Gary, is not able to get a hold of him for a day. And Gary, um, Gary, I guess who didn't go on the road trip, decides to stop by Bill's house. Yeah. And uh, Gary and his brother-in-law, Frank, and Frank's stepdaughter, Sherry. So the whole crew comes over to check on Bill. And what they find is that, first of all, his pickup truck is gone out of the driveway. Uh, they also find the phone off the hook. Um, and then in the reenactment, like, Frank is like, uh, oh, I think he had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and gary's like the fuck no this dude like my dad was murdered <laughs> and um i feel like there are segments that we talk about on here where yeah. i have a i have a i have a more like sometimes i have a much more innocent interpretation of what happened and then you're like mm -hmm. You know, I'll be like, oh, well, you know, they just fell or, you know, off a cliff. And, you know, like, and you're like, Robert, dude, they were murdered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this is this is Gary saying that to Frank. Gary's yeah. like, Frank, this is not a heart attack. <laughs> Dad was murdered. Um, so uh, about five days later. Uh, so Bill's Bill's. So his truck's gone. Phone's off the hook. Wallet is missing. Okay. Five days later, the wallet is found along Interstate 8, Interstate 880, no, <laughs> incorrect, Interstate 40, um, about 90 miles east of Amarillo, Texas. Uh, and then the next day, the truck is found abandoned in Chicago, which is about a thousand miles away from where Bill lived. Um, so the, so the, the timeline here is five to six days after the murder. Um, so here comes the reenactment couple of hitchhikers get out of Bill's truck and they go into a truck stop and they're, they're talking to like the truck stop manager. They're like, yo, this dude was really freaky uh -huh. <laughs> uh, that picked us up. That's why we're not getting back in that truck. We're absolutely certain that truck is stolen. 
Um, I don't know how they came to that information because in the segment they don't it, they don't say that like the guy who picked up the hitchhikers was like bragging about it, but the hitchhikers yeah. are like able to determine. Yeah, the, that I the mean, truck they, was stolen. They know something is is massively wrong here. Um, right, they know yeah. so, they know something is wrong. Oh, I should probably mention this was on the day of the murder. This is yeah. when the hitchhikers go into the truck stop. And that becomes so, definitely important. Yeah. Yeah. And so the hitchhikers even pull the license plate and then they go. And so, you know, the, the two hitchhikers and the truck stop manager go and they call the police. They have them run the plate saying, we know for a fact that this truck is stolen. Something isn't right here. This guy who picked us up was acting weird. Um, but the cops are like, well, this the car hasn't been report, reported stolen. Yeah. Because remember... It took like, you know, eight hours or so be- between, you know, Gary realizing they can't get a hold of their dad and going over to dad's house to find out what had happened. Yes. There's a whole day lapse here. Um, so uh, the hitchhikers really do not take no for an answer. They end up calling 911 and, you know, filing reports saying we know we know that this truck has been stolen this guy was acting weird he really scared us um but yeah as the as the cops say like they it didn't it didn't ping anything because no one had reported the truck stolen at that point mm-hmm. um and so so the issue is now it's a wanted right yeah because the cops have the information they have they know where the truck was they know where the wallet was found they have uh, they have an eyewitness um from the hitchhikers and so now they're looking for the dude who yeah, killed the, bill in texas yeah, yeah the, 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 these are a couple of very conscientious hit- hitchhikers uh kudos for them yeah for- i really i don't know what could have happened in that car and they really don't discuss it why the hitchhikers were so convinced that the car was stolen i mean maybe one of them like opened up the glove box and saw the registration the guy could have the guy could have been who knows maybe just acting so crazy that they're like this guy is is just scary um yeah uh yeah it's we 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 don't know what what alerted them but yeah they were definitely like just freaked um totally and did the guy portraying the murderer truck stealer Mm-hmm. His hair is so weird when he walks into that um, mm-hmm. gas station. Like it's got little yeah. braid, like I don't know, little yeah. braids coming off all different directions. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it almost. I was like, does this dude have dreadlocks? But not really. It was sort of strange. But now that I have the wiki open, so that that depiction was based on information that the hitchhikers gave under hypnosis. <laughs> Yes, that's because <laughs> the se- the segment it, it ends with the satisfaction that they they caught the the person, but what it, what was truly um truly horrifying in its own way beyond any of the the crimes committed in here is yes. In the mm-hmm. update, it reads as a result of our broadcast. The two uh-huh. hitchhikers came forward. Under hypnosis, they recalled details about the suspect, including his hometown and his first name. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> except that's not actually how they caught the guy who did it. No. Those de- no. But it says those details led police to Lawrence Tuck, mm-hmm. who was serving time in Ohio for an unrelated crime. D- uh, oh, DNA evidence linked Tut to the murder of Bill Henderson. I see. <laughs> that's that's stolen valor unsolved mysteries. That's not how the police found this guy. And how, that was a dead end. How, completely. how what does the wiki say? <laughs> it's a lot well, it's not as interesting as the hitchhikers were put under a hypnosis <laughs> and vaguely able to identify a guy that led them to the killer. But I'm happy to I'm happy to give the real update since Unsolved Mysteries decided to put that one in their pocket, <laughs> even though it was not accurate. Um, which I that's the first. Sometimes Unsolved Mysteries like the updates gloss over things, but this is this is completely stolen valor. It was not as a result of the broadcast. Oh wow. So I'm about to tell you how it really went down. Okay. You ready for that? Okay. And I'm just going to read straight from the wiki. Sorry, I'm lazy. In December of 2005, police reopened the case and located a witness who had been overlooked in the initial investigation. Initially, investigators believed that the phone call the suspect made at the truck stop was to a shelter. So when the hitchhikers got out of the car at the truck stop, the reason they were able to get away from this guy is this guy went and made a phone call. Okay. 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 Um, how, okay. So, however, during the new investigation, they found the suspect had actually called a residence. The owner of the residence told them about a roommate that had lived there with her in 1991. The roommate claimed that she had received the call from the suspect. She said his first name was Larry and that he lived in a town near a lake in New York. She said the town's name started with an S and sounded strange. Investigators were able to identify the town as scant, scanty edelis. Yeah, that is weird. Scandalous, scandalous New York. I would find that name weird as well. I can't even say it. Uh, so kudos to her for remembering it was S and it sounded strange. Uh, so it's in New York. Through this, through this, they were able to identify a possible suspect, Lawrence W. Scare quotes Larry Tut. Tut was a transient and known criminal who was in custody in Ohio on an escape charge. DNA evidence and the palm print connected him to the crime scene. So he called his um, roommate. Okay. She said this guy's name is Larry. He's originally from this town in New York. So they were able to narrow narrow down based on that information. They were able to get a conviction um, because of DNA evidence. And because they already had, as Unsolved Mysteries did mention, he was already in custody in Ohio for unrelated crime. Ah. Ah. Hitchhikers had nothing to do with it. (laughs) <laughs> except except for the cops to know where to look, which is check the phones at the truck stop. Check the phones at that truck stop, yeah. Yeah, but that was in 2005, man. That was like, this aired in 1992. <laughs> so. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. So I don't um, really think Unsolved Mysteries can really take the credit for helping investigators with this one. Yeah, like you said, I think it looks like they're trying to pad out the record a little bit in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, and then, you know, when this segment was over, we, we got a, a preview of the next episode. Uh, mm-hmm. At least how I was watching on YouTube. And it said, tomorrow uh, on Unsolved Mysteries. I was like, what, tomorrow? 
And then I, I, I scroll back to the beginning of this episode where, like, when Stack opens up his narration, he's like, tonight, on a special edition of Unsolved Mysteries. So I get the feeling that this was an episode that, like, like it was, I don't know what what night did the show air on television? I can't remember. Wednesdays, man. That's why we release our episodes on Wednesdays. And ignore that. I just said that. Anyway, <laughs> I, I I guess that there must have been some night where they air they put a special uh, like this unsolved mysteries episode on the Tuesday. I would like mm-hmm. to say it's because they were so concerned about making trying to help R- Rolando not be executed. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure all their resources were going into that. At that yeah, time. but um, yeah. who who knows? It, it it may have been more like it, it, NBC was like, eh, yeah, we canceled whatever program. We need something to like fill in this spot real quickly. Who knows? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so if you. Uh, if you haven't wept in despair to the point where you're you're mm-hmm. not gonna be able to move or do anything, uh, mm-hmm. please mm-hmm. follow us on Twitter at reenactedpod. <laughs> uh, send us an email reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Uh, go on Facebook, uh, search reenacted fans podcast. Uh, you'll get a couple of things there. We got a Patreon. Uh, we have a new yeah. T- you can tier- just like tip the podcast now so if you if you if you didn't want to become a full-fledged rumper if that's just not your speed you can just send us like a dollar tip yeah once a month you just Uh, want to say hey good job guys we like the content you can do that uh that please feel free so that's it's patreon.com slash reenacted pod and um, also, if you want to rate and review on iTunes, that would be very nice. We're still running the contest. Once we get to 90 re- reviews, we're going to draw some names out of a hat. And uh, if you're one of the people who reviewed us and you get drawn from the hat, we're going to send you a little little prize. Yes. We're going to send you a little prezi. That's what we do. Uh, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? People all over the world! Uh, perhaps even you may saw... Jo- join us... Tomorrow night on a very special edition of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>